Welcome to the Replenish Me Show, where women listen in for strategies to propel themselves to success. Good evening. I'm your host, Cordelia Gaffar, and I help women to have a body soul shift by using their emotions as a power source so that they can reframe their perspective with sweet talk and flow into their ultimate life's purpose. Do you need a body soul shift? Take the quiz at www.bodysoulshift.com. This, the following episode is pre-recorded. Tonight, I am interviewing Rafiq Tarawi. Okay, thank you. About reframing failure into success. He is a two-sport international athlete, having represented Great Britain in both water polo and handball on Olympic programs and at a senior level for 11 years. He founded No Limits in 2014, which supplied professional sports teams with nutritional products and consultancy services, and now focuses on his property and construction business, Dev UK. He holds a BS Honors in Applied Sports Science and a Master's in Strength and Conditioning, both from the University of Salford, Manchester, and has worked as a performance specialist with numerous professional and international athletes and teams over the course of nine years. He speaks regularly at events, providing an insight into his sporting journey, the serious health issues he faced as an athlete, which nearly ended both his career and his life and the tradition from sport into business. Welcome to the show, Rafiq. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. It's such an honor to have you here. So I did give a little bit of your story, but please, for our listeners, share exactly um, what happened, um, in particular with your um, health issue in sport. So I, um, I, I was really lucky. I, I, I came up in a family that was um, had quite a lot of sporting success and. Uh, my grandfather was a two-time Olympian, so that's what I wanted to do from a very young age and um, <clears throat> followed that route. I played numerous sports at a high level and I started playing internationally when I was in my teens. Um, this was in water polo, gradually building up through the age groups. And I got to a point where <clears throat> I was, it was actually 16 years old and I'd just been offered numerous scholarships over in the States to, to come out there and play water polo. And it was at the point where the Olympics uh, the London 2012 Olympics uh, had been announced. So we, we knew that it was going to be in London. We knew there was going to be a program set up full time. Uh, and I was in a really good position where I had two options to either move out to the US um, study over there and, and play at NCAA level water polo or stay in the UK full time with the, with the national team. And one evening, I was, while I was in my first year of college, I mean, college, college, over here, you have high school, college, then university. Um, so I was 16 years old. And it was actually nine days before my 17th birthday. And I just got this pain in my chest. I was actually sat at home re- uh, preparing for a psychology exam the next day. Uh, got a pain in my chest. It started to feel a little bit weird. And then gradually... I couldn't breathe or I would say my breathing started to become difficult slowly, got worse and worse and worse. Um, and then I couldn't move my left arm, which was, which was really strange. So straight away, as you do, I checked on Google symptoms, 
first thing that came up, heart attack. And I started panicking. Um, I rang, first thing I did was I rang my mum. My mum was a nurse and um, she was working night shifts. I rang her and straight away on the phone, mum, I'm having a heart attack, I'm dying. Um, what do I do? Uh, and straight away she said, get your dad. And put my dad on the phone and she told him to rush me to the hospital. Uh, at this point, I was in excruciating pain in the hospital. I couldn't breathe properly. I couldn't move my arm. I got to the hospital. They rushed me in, um, gave me a lot of morphine, uh, did some x-rays, did some scans, and they came back to me and said, yeah, you've not had a heart attack, which is good, but your lung has collapsed. And it's something called spontaneous pneumothorax, which apparently was really common or is really common in young, tall, fit, slim males, which I fit that criteria perfectly. It's almost like the illness picked me. Uh, it could have been any more perfect for the, the stereotype. And um, yeah, it's just something that can happen in that stereotype of person. And I... Um, uh, the, there's not, no real explanation for it. There was nothing that they could do um, apart from trying to get my, my lung to, to, um, to reinflate. I mean, a collapsed lung can be fatal. It's, it's severe. And um, they, uh, they did the treatment, which involved sticking a huge needle in my chest to uh, relieve the air from my chest wall to reduce the pressure to allow my lung to, to reinflate. Did that multiple times. It didn't work. Put a chest drain in an air drain through my back uh, and I spent a little bit of time in hospital and got back to normal and they said to me once you feel okay you can go back to playing sport and it was about five five weeks six weeks later jumped back in the pool started swimming and after one length the pain came back but this time it was worse than the first time it wasn't as scary because I knew what was going on but but it was far worse and then when they rushed me to the hospital they said okay this is worse than the first time you know a collapsed lung can be fatal the first time round. It's happened once. It's happened. You just survived it. It's happened twice. You've survived it again. If it happens a third time, you 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 may not be so lucky. So we need to do some treatment. And when they um, they took me straight to theatre, opened me up and found numerous holes at the top of my lung, which uh, how they appeared, they don't know. They, there was some suspicion that the holes were actually caused when they were sticking the needles into my chest the first time round, um, and they hadn't healed properly. Um, but the only thing they could do because of how spread the holes were was to remove a large portion of my left lung. And um, obviously I'm in theatre at this time, so I can't make a decision as to whether or not they do or do that. Uh, I came out of theatre and when I came to, they said, yeah, that's, that's it. You've, you've, you've survived two collapsed lungs. We've, we've done an operation that will stop you for, your lung from collapsing. Um, because we've glued your kind of removed something called the pleura, the, the line of the outside of the lung to your chest wall. It's stuck to your chest wall, so it can't collapse. Your right one could still collapse, but your left one definitely won't. But also we've removed a large portion of your, your lung. And um, unfortunately, that's it. You'll never play sport again at a high level. And that for me was the, the worst thing anybody could tell me. Wow. Uh, but I guess at the time it was a case of... Um, survived something you know you, a lot of people were probably like well i've survived it i'm still here that's that's a positive for me it couldn't be any worse than that because the one thing i'd set my heart on from being a young age which was to to go to an olympic games to compete at high level that was being taken away from me right at the point where it the dream started to become a reality with the london olympics being announced in in the uk and um, that really 
I would say probably the most traumatic experience I've ever had, but it's possibly turned out to be one of the best for, for various reasons from the things that I learned from that experience and also the way it changed my view on, on, on various different things. So let, let's just look at things, you know, like, so you were very, very young, right? And yeah. there you were like just days before you could, had, had you already qualified? For no, so we, we got, um, fortunately we qualified for, um, as, as, as the host nation, it's actually days before my birthday that it happened. Um, but at that point, it's not long being announced that we were going to, to have the Olympic Games in the UK. And I knew that I was going to be a part of that setup um, with an opportunity to compete for my, compete for my place. So, and at the same time, I had the, the scholarship offers out to the States. I had three offers uh, and this happened. So the next year was just uh, a nightmare of decisions to make, whether or not I could continue playing or not, and just trying to, trying to recover from the, the surgery itself. So how did you um, end up, um, I, I want to like first look at the mental state and then um, kind of if you want to delve into the spiritual at all. And then um, how did you end up deciding to just stay and go to university in the UK? So, so I think to, my mental state when they told me I couldn't play sport was a mess. Uh, and I've never been a very emotional person. Um, but I just broke down and started crying. I mean, when I was in the hospital, uh, apparently when they took me back to the ward, I had tubes and everything, and, and my father couldn't come in and see me. He, he could come in, but physically he, he didn't want to see his son um, like that. And it was the rest of my family that were there when the, the surgeon came in and told me the news. Uh, and I just broke down, and I said I wanted all of them to leave, and they all left. And it was actually my father that then came in, and um, I, he, he just said to me, why are you crying? And I said, well, that, that's it. I can't play sport again. I'm not good at anything else, which is not true because I was good academically in school, but that was all I ever wanted to do. And, um, and life revolved around sport for me at that age. And, um, he, um, and he said, well, yeah, but why are you crying? And I said, because they said I can't play sport. And he said, well, since when do you listen to anything anyone tells you? So <laughs> he said, I was like, what do you mean? He went, you don't listen to anybody. He said, the surgeon's told you you can't go and play sport. He said, prove him wrong. He said, get yourself better, get back in shape and prove him wrong. He said, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take time. But if you want to do it, you can do it. That's what you need to do. And he said, you've got a family here to support you. And, and that was it. And I, I literally changed from being a complete mess to stopping crying instantly. And in my head there and then starting to make a plan as to how I'm going to get better and looking at you know, what I can do. From there, I was on my phone looking at, well, so the internet connection wasn't that good then, but I had um, <laughs> various, I had my brother um, doing research for me at home while I was in hospital and bringing it back, uh, different kind of medical information as to how I could recover or things that I could do to help me recover from the surgery quicker to start getting back on track. And it, it, it was the point of my father just saying that to me that, that changed everything for me. Um, and then from then I never really saw anything as, as a negative. He, um, he really did. I guess it was a, a necessary kick up the backside <laughs> and um, it, it changed my mindset completely because I thought, well, 
if he thinks that, you know, as a kid as well, your parents are usually right. So if he thinks I can come back from it, then I should believe that. Uh, and that was it then. I was positive all the way through the recovery. And it, it took me, so I had the surgery in October 2006. Okay. And it was, I think it was around June 2007 before I started exercising again. But it took probably about a year and a half before I got back to the fitness level that I was previously because the surgery on my lung was such major surgery. So it was, a, it was a long, long, slow recovery process from, I mean, at first I, I couldn't leave the house for so long because of risk of catching infection. So I had to stay at home. And then when I could leave the house, uh, I would walk 10, 20 meters. I'd be out of breath and I having to stop. And it was really, really tiresome. Um, and I think at that point, something like that would probably beat a lot of people down. They, they, it would wind them up. It would frustrate them. And strangely, it didn't frustrate me. It motivated me to, okay, I've only walked 20 meters today before I've got tired. I'm going I'm to go a bit further tomorrow and try and push myself because I saw walking down the street to the shop as you know, a training session in a sense. And I was trying to get that bit better every day to, to help me recover. So everything became an opportunity after your dad. Like, so basically you had to do the physical release, right? Of course, you had gone through this traumatic experience, this long surgery, and then the bad news, right, from the surgeons. And that, that uh, I mean, it's a human state, right? It's just a human condition. We have to have some kind of emotional and mental and physical release. And that's the crying, right? And yeah. you needed that. And then you had the love of all of your family that was there to support you. And then, you know, once you had your coddling, right, then you had your dad to bring you back to straight. It's like, well. Um. <laughs> the, the, the tough love. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. But that, that's, that's, my, that's my dad. I think he's, he's a, a very caring person, but quite a serious person. Not really somebody that shows affection. And um, I guess that was the only way he knew to deal with it. Yeah. And it, it, there couldn't have been a better way to, I, I couldn't have had anybody else in that room that would have had the impact that he did. So I'm, I'm thankful for that tough love. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to have that one person, you know, to, to bring us back. And that is just amazing. So what would you say to someone else, right? Who is maybe in a position like that where they've, they've just gotten the news that, you know, what you really aspire to do with your life, you're never going to be able to do that. And they don't have someone like your dad in their life. What would you say to them? Oh, that's a difficult one. It's difficult because I've not been in that position. I've been very fortunate to have people there um, who have supported me. But I guess I would say it, some, people, so some people are tough. Some people can deal with bad situations and, um, and deal with it really well and find their own way through things and other people do need support. I think if you feel you need support, there is plenty, there are plenty of places where you can find that support. It might be through a personal coach or even as simple as, as social media. I mean, you've got a group, I mean, look, look how we met through, um, through a, a social media group and um, the amount of people that are on there that, that support each other 
And um, it's very easy nowadays to communicate with people anywhere in the world and you can quite easily, uh, you know, there's always going to be idiots on social media, but at the same time, there's some really, really cool people who are really caring people and helpful people as well. So you can post your issue out there or don't want to say issue, but the, the circumstances you're in and ask for advice, ask for help. And there's going to be plenty of people that will share information, share advice, or even kind of a, a virtual pat on the back that you may need every now and again. So I think that's, if you haven't got somebody there, there's no shortage of places where you can find somebody and online is a really easy place to do it. There are, there are plenty of different groups. I mean, where I live um, just outside Manchester, there's loads of different types of clubs and groups and, um, and meetups where for various different things and personal development meetups, which are really good because you can go and meet people there. And I'm sure you're going to find people that will be able to support you and help you in, in those scenarios. And you never know, you, you may find someone who's been in a similar situation to yourself. So that's possibly the best person you, you could meet that way. Yeah, I agree. Meetups, local meetups are really great um, for this kind of thing. And, um, and I think also that is the human condition. Uh, human absolutely, they want to help each other. They have compassion. And yeah, there's a knucklehead or two. But I mean, I've seen so many times, like even on an Instagram or a Facebook where people have posted, you know, this is my situation. Usually with inside, you know, like you said, like a group. Um, that is designed for something like that, but that that's a really good thing. Do you also speak to young people? Um, yes, yes, yeah, I do speak to young people. I mean, I'm just thinking back. I didn't actually fully answer your question um, before because you mentioned how did the recovery actually end up to me going into university? Do you want me to touch on that now or I'll answer this question and maybe go back, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I do speak to young people now. I do a lot of speaking um, in schools. That I started doing that just before the London Olympics, um, so kind of early early 2012, and I've been doing it since. And most of the, the speaking that I do in schools has always been on, until recently, been on a voluntary basis. Uh, I've spoken in primary schools, high schools, colleges, universities, and the, um, the, the to topics that I cover are predominantly, I suppose the main topic is actually overcoming adversity. Um, taking everything as a challenge and I mean I'm a very competitive person everything is a challenge if you tell me you can't do something I'll go out of my way to, to, to do it and prove you wrong and almost promoting that mentality within reason uh, and if something bad happens to you it's a challenge it's a challenge it's an opportunity for you to, to better yourself to to evolve to adapt uh, to adapt and to, to learn new things and new strategies to, to overcome that and um, that's a huge part of the the top well i say my talks in schools covers uh, overcoming adversity and challenging yourself and then the other things i talk about are um largely about transferable skills and looking at how you can benefit from subjects such as sport drama dance music arts creative subjects and um, the the skills and traits that you can develop from those subjects that can help you later on in life in, in various different industries but the adversity one really does <clears throat> that probably has a bigger impact on the kids that I speak to um, because the, the lung collapse is only one of the setbacks that I've had 
and the, there's been a number that have followed uh, one to do with an injury or two to do with an injury uh, and another one that's a business business related one and I guess having the, the setback with my lung at such a young age prepared me for the the rest of the setbacks I had and I was able to deal with them far easier than um, than the first one because I'd already had that experience I'd been through it it had prepared me mentally to deal with such scenarios um, so when I go into schools and I talk about that, it's, it's uh, really well received. So it seems like your, your main, um, the meat of what you talk about is what's the learning in, um, what's the learning and the opportunity in your challenge or in your struggle, right? Definitely. And I guess the other part of that is um, for the kids that are more academic, right? You can benefit from, you know, delving in sport and being creative right and for i guess the kids that are doing sports the opposite is that right yeah definitely i mean for me uh, I, i'll use my example my although i was good in school my focus was solely on playing sport i had no interest in anything else in fact when i went into college i was set to in my head when i finished college that was it for education. I was just going to go and play sport professionally. And water polo is huge in Europe, so I was going to play professionally in Europe. And um, I wasn't really that bothered about education after it. Until I had scholarship offers from the States, which then kind of made me think, hmm, you know, maybe university is a, is a, is a possibility. Uh, but the, when I looked at the, the degrees that they had, they weren't the same as the degrees in the UK, and they didn't really interest me that much. And it wasn't until my lung collapsing, having to have the surgery and being told that I was never going to play sport at a high level again, then I realized that actually I need to have some sort of education behind me. I need a plan B. I need a backup plan, something else to fall back on just in case I don't get back to where I was before. Um, and that really switched me on to, to focus on, right, okay, my, my academic studies to get them as good as possible. And I guess I was probably a bit lazy my first year in college because at that point, I didn't really see education being that, having that big of an impact in my life. But definitely the second year of, my college, of college after my surgery, I took it a lot more seriously and got really good results and then managed to get into a, a good university uh, and decided that I was going to keep studying and continue balancing sport and education the entire time. Because if anything did go wrong with sport, and you see it all the time, athletes' careers ending early for, for injuries or, or various other reasons, and unfortunately, a lot of them, I mean, I think it's great in the US where a lot of them have to go to university. But here in the UK, especially if you play sports like football or rugby, you know, they finish school at, or high school at 16 and they turn professional or, or go full time into their sport. And that's it. They don't have anything education wise past there. If their careers end early, they're, they're left with nothing. And you they don't reach their full potential because of that. So for you know, it, I really felt that I could benefit from having education alongside sport and balancing that. And I actually went on to spend six years at university. So <laughs> not just three, I did a three-year undergrad and a three-year master's. And it was really, really, really difficult balancing the two because I was training 25 to 27 hours, Monday to Friday with, um, with, with water polo and then playing at the weekends. And then I was having just under 30 hours, sometimes more than 30 hours of lectures a week. And my day would start at half four in the morning. I'd get up to drive to Manchester to start my training at six. I'd train six till nine, then go to university. 
Um, then I'd be back to do my gym session, then back to university. Then I'd go into the pool to train again. So we, the national team trained full time, almost like as a club team. So uh, I'd train again with them in the evening and then I'd train with my club team after that. I'd get home for half 10, 11 o'clock to bed, straight to get the same again, Monday to Friday and then playing games at the weekend. And it was really difficult and it was a huge sacrifice, but continuing with the education really did benefit me. So when I do speak in schools, I, I really do emphasize the value of education for those kids that are really interested in sports and creative subjects and how no matter what those creative subjects are, I mean, if it's art and you want to become an artist, then you know, when no one buys your, your paintings, you're in a mess. You, you can't make a living. So at least having some academic subjects behind you gives you other options. In fact, you might find that you'll benefit some skills that will help you to sell your paintings. And then the same for the, the kids that are very academic and not so creative or sporty, um, emphasizing the value of this, the, the skills, the qualities, the traits, the impact that the creative subjects will have on your personality, you know, opening yourself up to criticism, allowing you to express yourself in various ways, being able to interact with groups and communicate and work as part of a team. I think there's, there's a crossover for both of them so for, for the kids that are very academic they could benefit and for the kids that are very sporty they need to they definitely definitely would benefit from education it seems like it definitely in the uk wow so that's good to know i think this is a good stopping point i'm just going to do a, a short commercial break and then when we come back we'll talk more about what you did after university and um, what challenges you've had in your business no problem um Every other week, we have the Undivided show with Frank Maduri. So please tune in for his next episode. That will be the first and third Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, so going back to you, very brief commercial break. Um, tell us, how did you, um, once you finish your master's degree, um, is that when you started your business or did you start while you were still in school? So I started my business after my master's degree, but I started working within sport whilst I was, uh, well, I started working within sport when I um, was coming to the end of my undergraduate degree. I was really lucky that Salford University are one of, if not the top university for anything that's sport related and is geared towards professional sport and being in Manchester, have links to all the, the top professional sports teams. So I had opportunities to work with like work with the likes of Manchester City football team. And um, I don't know if you know the rugby teams, but South Sharks, Salford City Reds, um, you know, England Lacrosse, uh, and lots of other high-level sports teams or national teams in the UK. So I actually started working with a professional rugby team when I was in the final year of my undergraduate degree. And uh, made things a bit more challenging because then I wasn't just balancing training education I had a job in there to do as well uh, and then I worked with professional teams throughout my masters so I was working with um, various rugby teams I worked with a number of NGBs um, so national governing bodies in water polo uh, weightlifting Olympic weightlifting and um, handball I uh, did some stuff with British wrestling as well and we um, I worked with them predominantly as a, a strength and conditioning coach with some nutrition consultancy and I did that all the way through my master's. And it wasn't until I um, was actually, I guess, another setback that's kind of prompted me starting my own business. And um, 
it was prior to it was back end of 2011 i was diagnosed with something called compartment syndrome which is basically um it's an inflammation in of the fascia in the calf muscles which causes uh, it compresses the blood vessels and basically starves the muscle of oxygen now compartment syndrome is in third world countries people end up having amputations because of it because if the muscle is starved of oxygen the muscle dies in the uk if a footballer has any signs and symptoms of compartment syndrome they have an operation straight away to fix it and uh, i got diagnosed with it and met a top surgeon who deals with liverpool football team looks after their athletes and he said to me have the surgery now you'll, you'll be out for six weeks but then you'll be fine and you'll be back into it it was actually the the doctor for the british olympic association that said to me no you can't have the surgery because you can't afford to take six weeks out you know the, just before you know the beginning of the year of the olympics you, you need to be here we can manage the injury and you can have your surgery after the olympic games and um, i was a bit in the middle do i listen to the surgeon or do i listen to the the team doctor and silly me listen to the team doctor i mm. uh, didn't have the surgery prior to the olympics we we went away on our preparation camp and it just got worse and worse over the months to the point that you know i, I couldn't walk let alone run because of the pain that it caused and i was sent home a couple of weeks before the olympics and and that was it i didn't get to compete in the olympics and i needed to have surgery on both of my legs at that point because it got so bad um and at that point 